0: Your question was, do people have enough awareness to take action? I I believe there's a lot of willingness in society to take up things, but some people actually don't have enough knowledge to do the right things. Um, And we as people from the technology side have a responsibility there to take that we we need to lower cost and make efficiency higher so that they have options available which are as expensive or as cheap as their current options. And then people are certainly willing to uh, to, to take the more decarbonized, renewable, low-carbon option.
1: You're listening to Building the Future, a podcast by Cadence Science Partner. And my name is Rudy van Beurden. In this podcast, I meet innovators, trailblazers, and bright minds who are busy building the future. The search for renewable energy sources is gaining ground. Wind and solar energy have been familiar to us for quite some time, but there are countless other innovations that generate emission-free energy. The question we'll try to answer in this very episode is, will we really be able to say goodbye to fossil fuels in the future? And to find out our guest's view on this, we'll start with a slightly provocative statement. A future without fossil fuels is an illusion. Well, we're super curious, first and foremost, what you yourself as a listener think about it. But together here, joining me at the table, is Nick Hall, head project manager of Team Solid. First and foremost, what's your take on it? Do you agree or disagree? I disagree. You disagree. Thank you. Next to you is sitting Olaf Adan, professor, doctor, connected to the University of Technology in Eindhoven, to TNO, but also the CEO of Celsius. What is your take on the statement?
2: I fully disagree.
1: Disagree as well. And last but not least is Johan Kneipp, head of section Flow and Fuels with DNV. You are uh, also a consulting partner partner and a testing partner, all to do with energy sources. What is your take on the statement?
0: I uh, disagree. Uh, as well so that's
1: three times disagree um let me start with the youngest member here on the table because you were only born in the year 2000 you said in the briefing nick you're a young student and you're the head of the team of of the project team actually solid but it's actually a student team can you introduce yourself briefly
3: well yeah of course so um Student teams, well, I'm, I'm part of the student team, so I'm not the head, but I'm just the one who, does the, who is the head of the project there. Um, as a student team, we try to be the gap between what the university is, um, tries to develop and the research that they do and the companies that eventually want to commercialize it. Uh, and different student teams do different things, but here on the University of uh, the Technology University of Eindhoven, we are most of the student teams are focused on uh, on the key on key topics, and one of them is the energy transition. Mm-hmm. You have various student teams, such as uh, uh, Team Core, uh, the Solar Team Eindhoven, which is a, a very well-known team, but also us, uh, and uh, we focus on the energy transition, particularly on. Um, creating, uh, no, enabling access to clean and renewable energy for uh, for everyone at and, and any time uh, and in order to do that we want to create ecosystems. Mm-hmm. So we are not only a team that tries to develop the technology further, but we also try to do the business cases uh, and the marketing behind it in order to, to gain some ground uh, in order to make new promising technologies uh, that we can use to uh, improve uh, yeah get rid of fossil fuels
1: yeah true and in your specific case you're studying physics but now you're taking a break for a whole year in order to be part of the student team and you work specifically with iron powder as a energy source as a new promising energy source i guess it's kind of heavy but maybe you can tell me a little bit more about it well yeah so the whole
3: team actually um, started in, in 2016 and that was the, the the research and why we chose iron powder is based off a, a research project that was made by a university in, in Canada actually. Um, at the moment, at, at that time, they were trying to search for a new kind of uh, energy carriers that were sustainable. And they, they made some, um, they, they tried to uh, make an energy source that was, uh, but that when burned was CO2 uh, free. Um, it was not toxic, it had a high energy density in order to be, com- to be competitive um, with uh, fossil fuels. Uh, and eventually um, they came, they, they found that iron, one of the most abundant resources on Earth um, has 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 those properties, mm-hmm. and we can use those properties and enable um, to to gain access to uh, energy that is uh, both CO2 neutral, um, cyclical,
1: uh, easily transportable, and safe. So oh, many advantages. Many advantages, yeah. yes. We will dive into that a little later. But first and foremost, Olaf, you're also sitting here in the same department of the university, physics, but then in the positions of being a professor. We also promised Nick he, he wouldn't have to be intimidated by you as <laughs> you being the professor here on the table. But you actually also disagree with the statement the a future without fossil fuels is an illusion. You think it is possible to get rid of to maybe come up with a plan to diminish the impact of fossil fuels?
2: Well, if I just give my first feedback on the statement, uh, the the first thing is that I disagree because I sincerely believe that uh, we already have a lot of technology and there will be new technology that will help us to reach the ambition, Mm -hmm. to realize the ambition. That's the first thing. And uh, we can dive into the, the details of the technology, but My main concern is, uh, however, that uh, we are able to solve it, but can we really realize that in time? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's the main issue, uh, because basically we are all in a hurry. We are facing the consequences of the, you could say, the climate change already. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, We have set clear ambitions in 2030 and in 2050, in 2050 basically to have a carbon-neutral environment. Mm-hmm. But in order to realize that, there's one thing that we have to focus on, and it's to, to speed it up, Yeah. to speed it up.
1: It has to be done quicker. Yeah. Yeah. Johan, what do you think about it, about the speed that we're working on right now, globally?
0: Yeah. I, I agree with, with Olaf that um, if you look to the IPCC report who recently launched that uh, it's a call for action, Uh, And one of the statements is that we need to speed up. Mm -hmm. Um, um, In order to to reach um, net zero in 2050, um, the technologies are there, but we need to do a lot of work in the upcoming decade to prove that it's possible. Um, I I disagree with this statement because um, I believe that um, um, we need to tell to as many people as we can that they need to take action now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure if 2050 is reachable but at least we should aim for it mm-hmm. and start working towards it now. yeah and from your position
1: can you tell me a little bit more what you are doing here in the netherlands from your position
0: yep. uh, i work for dnv um and as a it's a norwegian company with uh, uh, offices in the netherlands as well we are um a, a consultancy advisory team on one hand, and also a, a testing team. We test technology here in the Netherlands, in Groningen, in the north, to um, to show to the to the society and to support customers to make a renewable technology available. So we pick up um, proof of concepts from um, from universities and from early research phase from manufacturers, and we support them in our facilities to bring it to demonstration phase and into pilots and into real um real-life markets Mm -hmm. Uh, for instance we work on uh, a lot on um, renewable fuels uh, enabling new fuels to enter the market we did a lot of work for biogas in the recent years and we're now fully working on um, on hydrogen for instance Mm -hmm. and one of the spare we're currently working on is um, hydrogen for the high temperature industry let's say ceramics steel industry glass industry that's a hard to abate sector um and hydrogen can do the job there However, you need to change some technology in that process, and that's what we're working on together with the industry.
1: Yeah. So it doesn't really matter where the energy is being used for. The things that you're testing could be heating dwellings, could be also being used for mobility, maybe. Yep. Or
0: we work for the for the for the industry for the heating market. We work for the mobility market. We test engines as well, uh, and we work for domestic. Uh, sorry for um, for built environment for houses, offices as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Nick, your energy system having to do with iron powder and it consults in becoming rust or it was rust and then it's hard to grab my head around yeah so um the whole
3: system um it's about the cycle so what you have in the beginning it's iron powder Uh, it's some iron in some form Mm -hmm. Um, that iron uh, just like any other fuel can react with air Uh, and that produces iron oxide, or the most general term for that is rust. And that's an oxidation reaction. I won't get into the details of it, but what happens is the iron powder gets converted to rust by making use of the oxygen in the air. And with that, uh, it's an exothermic reaction, so energy is created. Mm And mostly in the form of heat, and this heat can be used for various uh, purposes, like uh, a heat battery uh, or uh, powering industrial processes, district heating, those kinds of things. And the the rust we are left with, um, we can regenerate it into uh, iron by making use of hydrogen. Uh, and the entire process, not a single ounce of CO2 is is created. So we um, by making the by making use of the entire cycle, um, harnessing the power of renewable energy sources in order. To make the rust into the iron powder uh, with hydrogen, um, we have clean energy that can be easily transported. The iron can be burned um, at another location, or what we're currently working on is uh, enable it to store hydrogen in itself. Um, and the rust, the waste product, uh, which is not actually a waste product if you think about it, can be reused.
1: And you actually have a test pilot project in place with a local brewery, isn't it?
3: Yeah, Ja, yeah. Um, over the last years actually um, the last student team uh, made a pilot together with the Swinkels Brewery, uh, Bavaria, uh, and they made uh, an, an entire test setup together with a couple of partners that was able to produce 100 kilowatts uh, of energy in the form of steam, uh, and Bavaria uh, used that in order to clean their bottles. Uh, and also to carry out various tasks within uh, within the factory. And that not only is the uh, was it a demonstration event, um, but we still use that setup to get today, uh, together with the university uh, to do a lot of research on the cyclability of iron powder. Um, so it's, it's not only a project that enabled us to show the world that iron powder is a viable uh, energy carrier, um, but it also allows us um, to develop the technology further so it can be eventually be picked up by uh, those larger companies.
1: Yeah, excellent. Olaf, uh, you are also working in fig- physics, obviously, and in the briefing it came forward that we, as my- mankind, came up with all of these systems in about 150 years. And what you showed already is that you're kind kind of optimistic in being able to solve it. Whether we have enough time is another question. But you're also working on a solution called the heat battery. What's the heat battery about?
2: Yes, yeah, so I think that, uh, just to summarize that, uh, the heat battery is what we call a real breakthrough innovation that basically is storing uh, energy. Uh, it is basically a storage uh, device uh, and delivers heat. So if you compare it to an electric battery, an electric battery uh, needs electric energy and is giving electric energy. Uh, for a heat battery, the input uh, consists of heat or, and or electricity, and it's delivering heat. Mm-hmm. Um, why I'm just uh, calling that breakthrough technology, basically, um, I was just listening to, to Nick when he was saying we are using one of the commonest uh, materials on Earth. Uh, we are doing the same, uh, even more common, I think. So we are using salt on the one hand and water on the other. And if you put those two ingredients together, uh, then a reaction occurs and heat is released. Uh, you can compare that if you ever made uh, gypsum by yourself, you are using a powder, you are adding water, a new uh, kind of solid substrate uh, starting to... Uh, to be formed and, and it's, it's it's a bit it's a bit raising in temperature. Mm. So that's basically the same principle. So those two ingredients, if you put them together, it is releasing heat. And the nice thing is that you can also reverse that reaction. So you can heat your new solid again and split the original components. So And then you have water and the salt once again. And as long as you are just keeping them uh, apart, the heat that you have uh, used to to split the components is stored Mm -hmm. is stored really lossless and that's the unique the unique uh, thing of the solution that we are uh, now bringing to the market that is basically without any loss of energy it's a storage device without any loss of energy
1: you can do it over and over and over again yes so we
2: have built a uh, what you can say is a rechargeable battery and in order to do so, we had to solve two kinds of things. The first thing is to find a uh, a material that is able to be re- recharged as many sti- as many times as you like, so which is inherently stable. That's the first thing that we solved. So we have built a um, a very stable uh, salt composite uh, based on potassium carbonate. Mm-hmm which is a very common and easy-to-produce material. Uh, and secondly, we have developed a new kind of device that is using the full potential of that material. And we couldn't do that on the basis of the existing technology, so mature reactor technology, uh, because it was either not performing very well or too, too, uh, too expensive or too complex. Uh, so we introduced a new principle what we call a closed-loop principle, mm-hmm. which is already this is also patented uh, and which formed the basis of the device that we developed. So the heat battery is basically based on two uh, breakthroughs. The first one is focusing on material, salt, salt mm-hmm. and water vapor, and the other one is focusing on the, on the device principle.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm willing to ask how this got on your path actually how you discovered but maybe a better question is asking Johan if you could make a bet or if you had to choose between the iron powder or the heat battery what would you pick or is this actually a wrong question in the first place
0: maybe it's a wrong question Um, um, i believe that we we need as many as new technologies as we can to make that step towards the um, net zero in 2050. Um, maybe you could say that both guys are serving a, a more or less a different different market segment and both market segments have a need to decarbonize. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what binds us, the three of us, whether it's uh, the pilots I'm mentioning on hydrogen or Nick with iron powder and, uh, and Olaf with the heat battery, is that the Netherlands of course is, is quite addicted to natural gas and we need solutions to get rid of natural gas and find other ways to heat our homes, to heat the industry. And all the technologies we're working on are pointing in that direction.
1: Yeah, because what Olaf also said is that he's coming up with a device that's delivering heat. And heat is actually in very high demand, sometimes even more than specifically energy is, because energy has to be converted into Yeah, I
0: I, I believe that 80%, 80% of the Netherlands' uh, energy demand is in heat. So there we need need something to... um, different than we do today yeah and we li- we need to find our own way you know we can look to other countries but other countries have a different starting point and the netherlands starting point is 40 years of natural gas uh, a very well developed uh, natural gas infrastructure um, that can be used for hydrogen for instance and we need other processes and other uh, technologies to um, to um, to get that heat into our uh, um, industries or into our houses
1: yeah yeah all right, so the next thing is to do is to install the three of you in The Hague, isn't it? To push forward these technologies. Olaf, what do you think?
2: <laughs> well, I think that's a different job. Oh. Uh, it's a different job, but uh, well, if, if, you, if you're just going back to the first uh, command I gave on, on, the, on the statement, I think that acceleration speeding it up is one of the crucial issues mm-hmm. and um, in, in, in terms of speeding it up I think there are three main ingredients let's start with The Hague uh, I'm not commenting on The Hague but um, what I, what I uh, would like to stress is that decision making mm-hmm. about uh, the, the, those many different kinds of innovations should be accelerated anyhow and that's not because the decision making is not—it's—it's um, uh, it, just—it's just based on the fact that we should speed it up. Uh, um, let not always a closed business case be the dominating argument whether we should try an innovation, yes or no.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you mean with that specifically? Well, I
2: think that a lot of innovations uh, uh, are are hampered by the fact that the business case is already dominating the early stages of. Um, uh, you could say, the acceleration of the innovation. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Uh, I think that the second thing is uh, always crucial, is to to give good examples that innovations uh, are doing the things that uh, they should do. So to use pilots, demonstrations, that's a crucial ingredient. Uh, And the third one is, um, acceleration is also referring to another thing, And that's uh, whether we have the resources or the human capacity to realize the implementation of all those technologies on a uh, scale that is uh, related to the entire society. Mm -hmm. So whether we have sufficient manpower to do so. If you just look to, I'm just giving a very simple example, Uh, if you look to thermal insulation, uh, thermal insulation is one of the crucial steps, and everybody is agreeing about that, to reduce the demand. Uh, In order to thermally insulate your entire housing stock, you need a lot of workforce. Mm -hmm. And you can give other kinds of examples. So we also need to think about solutions that are easily scalable, that are easily um, uh, uh, replicable. Uh, in, in order to to secure that we implement the inv- innovation as fast as possible yeah, on yeah. a scale that is needed to realize innovations,
1: yeah. and yeah. overcoming these three hurdles is vital yeah. in order to get there. Yes, I yeah. think so. Uh, Nick, what do you think the tendency is amongst fellow students who are in their early twenties? What do they think? Are they optimistic as well to achieve bigger goals in two thousand and fifty? Well, I think so. Well, before this.
3: Um before this podcast started, I, I thought like ah, the elections in the Netherlands, which were just, were just a year ago. So I was like, OK, what was the public opinion on these topics? So I started researching and I found that, for example, um, people above 65 or above 50, years, 50 years, only 15 to 20 percent of them find the energy transition a really important topic. But if you look to people that are 18 to 24 years old, 51%, so more than half of, of the uh, of the students, the, the young people, find this a really important topic. And it's because, yeah, you said, I'm, uh, I was born in 2000, so that means in 2050, I'm only 50 years old. Um, so when I look at the future, I want it to be something where uh, I want to live in a clean environment, mm-hmm. uh, not something dominated by fossil fuels. And I, the, this, about the statement that Johan that made earlier, I, I completely agree. Like, For example, I'm, I'm a physicist, so I love technology. I love developing new technology. For example, the uh, nuclear fusion. It's an amazing technology that will help us a lot in the future, um, but, it's really, but it's so complicated to make. And, probably will only use it uh, past 2070, 2080, before it's fully commercialized. So we have to look at technologies that are available today. Uh, And that's what I love about um, the heat battery and and, uh, our project within SOLID as well, is that we develop technologies um, that are and develop new systems that are based on existing technologies So we use what is available today in an innovative way in order to reach our goals on the short term because indeed it's not about um, if We are going to live without future, uh, without fossil fuels, but because a eventually they will run out, mm-hmm. but It's it's a greater goal and we have to achieve that goal in order to live for them even before they run out because climate change so um, we have to be ready uh, in order to, to, to take up that challenge. Uh, and that's not only um, student teams or innovative companies, but it's also uh, businesses that are needing to take more risk, look at innovative technologies and just embrace them and try to see if it works, and governments, um,
1: yeah. So that's. Do you I- think many people are convinced about this? Be- because being very honest, here we're sitting in a beautiful, nice building, one of the buildings on the campus of the university. But it's also sort of island. All all of these buildings together forming the campus. And then when you just approach the man in the street, is he convinced as well that he or something needs to be changed? Well. I, I agree with you that sometimes when
3: you're at the university or another institute, you can sometimes be isolated um, because everyone at that place is working on similar technologies and, and uh, learning similar things. Uh, but that's also why it is so important to do those demonstrations, as Johan uh, mentioned earlier, and to reach out to the general public in order to familiarize them with those technologies um, not only, and and. Um, It's about facing the challenge together, I mean, universities or governments can't do it alone. We -hmm. we all have to point our heads in the same direction and do it. To collaborate. Uh, We we just have to collaborate.
0: Johan? To to add on that, uh, your your question was, do people have enough awareness to take action? I I believe there's a lot of willingness in society to take up things, but some people actually don't have enough knowledge to do the right things. and we as people from the technology side have a responsibility there to take that we ne- we need to lower cost and make efficiency higher so that they have options available which are as expensive or as cheap as their current options. And then people are certainly willing to, uh, to, to take the more decarbonized, renewable, low carbon option. Um, and DNV, for instance, we take, for instance, if you now look to floating wind as the new step from offshore wind to floating wind, we take a responsibility with a lot of industry partners to to make that price lower of low, low um, floating wind so that the options for societies and governments are more easy to make. Mm-hmm. That's the responsibility we have as technology providers.
1: Yeah. All right. Fair enough. So um, do you also see some trends happening, Johan, over the, the last years? Because one of the things that strikes me is that these technologies being mentioned by Nick and also Olaf, they, they seem quite simplistic in how they are being put together and also holistic in a way that we don't have to harvest gas uh, from deep in the ground or something. Is this something that's happening as well that people with whatever new innovation they introduce also really check is this wholesomely good for the planet? or do you see mm-hmm. everything still happening?
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of new stuff in the marketplace. Uh, not all technologies are there yet in terms of price or efficiencies. Mm. Um, but as Olaf said, if, if governments are willing to, to, to take some subsidy in to, to do the first step and then um, make technology providers um, um, willingness to do the, ne- the, the, the next step, then it would be very good to, um, uh, to make that route yeah um, yeah like that
1: yeah all right um, Olaf how are people responding you're in a professional field for years and years academia world also TNO research center and now all of a sudden you're the CEO in a business startup company mm-hmm. all these several hats what is the story you tell whenever you have time to go to a party <laughs>
2: Uh, well, I, uh, first of all, I don't have time to go to a party, so that's because I'm uh, wearing those many hats. Uh, that's pity. Yeah, but j- just, just let me start by saying uh, another thing, is that I feel very privileged that I'm uh, one of those um, very, well, you could say, privileged people that was uh, in the middle of the uh, full, you could say, the full knowledge chain, starting with the fundamentals at the university, uh, the application of fundamental research within an organization like TNO. And uh, now uh, I'm busy also with transferring that into a real application. The nice thing is that it's going also the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you also learn from the application in terms of what are fundamental questions. Um, uh, the other thing I've, uh, I've experienced uh, is, and that's the thing I'm also telling to others, is um, i've been working in an organization like tno for more than 30 years and uh tno is an organization that is uh, well the mission of tno is to transfer to help to transfer te- uh, technology into the market and to deliver impact for society and it's always very difficult to communicate about innovations and about the importance of innovations and about the, uh, you could say, the added value of investing in innovations. Um, when we launched the, uh, the heat battery, for the first time, we were overwhelmed, really overwhelmed. It started one and a half year uh, ago with uh, a response from, from, uh, from the public but also from investors, from other uh, industrial companies, about the heat battery innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the lesson I've learned from that is that uh, because it's so easy to imagine what the innovation is all about, yeah. it's very easy to communicate. So communication is also a crucial um, aspect. Or- aspect, if you talk about bringing innovation to the market. Yeah. But just talking about the heat battery I'm just saying okay it's a fantastic device it's it's greener it's cheaper it's performing excellent yeah and it's very small
1: yeah yeah that makes me think like people should either understand a certain new innovation in order to become enthusiastic and participate in it or they should think that they can win something out of it financially. Like so many people stepped into Bitcoin without even understanding what they were doing. But as long as they thought, we're gonna win something from this. So also new solutions should benefit people financially.
2: It's about understanding what it's all about, but it's primarily about uh, understanding the added value. And what does it bring? That's the crucial issue. Yeah,
1: yeah. And when was it that actually the origins of this very Project and this new technology started? How many years ago?
2: Uh, well, uh, the, uh, the basic principles about uh, behind the technology, uh, so that's the, the reaction of uh, salts with water, simply said, are already known for, for, for decades. So people have been working on that for, for many decades. Uh, we started working on that some 10, 12 years ago. And uh, as with all innovations, uh, the success depended also a bit on serendipity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is about the material, and we uh, had a very focused research on the material, so we managed to, uh, to create the breakthrough some three years ago, uh, keeping in mind that already for decades people have been working on the material. so uh, So three years ago, that was the first step, and the second step was... And it's not a sequential step, but I was working on the device principle, which was really an issue of serendipity. Just a bright student, one of your colleagues, came up with an idea and that formed the basis. Awesome. So it was
1: actually the student who came up with the idea. Exactly. Instead of the professor. Exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. Nick,
1: did you actually, because now it, re- it reminds me as well, because you picked up the idea, or actually the team of Solis picked up the idea in a Canadian paper a while ago, did you also uh, did a feedback loop and, and rang them or send them an email by saying, look what we're working on here in this part of Europe? Well, um, the, when the project originally
3: started, uh, it was picked up by a university professor, Philippe de Goei, uh, who's in uh, charge of the uh, the float plans of mechanical engineering, uh, if I if I say it correctly? And um, he started the communication process, um, and he was actually the one um, who thought it was a great idea. Uh, and eventually, um, that formed the group of students. First, the honors academy, which started the team. Um, It's not that we're now working together with that Canadian university, because it was just a research paper that Mm -hmm. was written. Uh, And that research paper, the interest in that research paper, that focused the team. Uh, I don't know myself, Um, right now we're not having any more communication with with the Canadian university from which that paper originated from. Um, But that's also because we're uh, quite far into uh, development process of one of the technologies. And that's why we're also starting a new project.
1: Yeah. And what will this new project be about?
3: Yeah. So um, I already mentioned it um, quite shortly. Um, Over the past years, we've been focusing on actually burning hydrogen. So just converting it into rust. Um, But what you can also use iron for, instead of burning it, you can push steam through it um, and the water in that steam reacts with the iron as well. And again, rust is formed. So you have the same cycle with the iron. Something happens, you turn it into rust and you can regenerate it into iron by making use of renewable energy sources. But now um, hydrogen is released. So um, instead, of hyd- instead of storing hydrogen in uh, large tanks, um, which is quite expensive, hydrogen is of course a gas that can escape quite quite quickly. It is an explosive material mm-hmm. um, and it's very light. So you have to store it on a high pressure. Um, instead of that, you can just use iron, which already means it's, it's. you can transport it really easily. It's quite heavy. Um, so it's it doesn't have the same applications as hydrogen. You can use hydrogen in a car, but um, I won't use uh, iron powder in a car because then it would just be too heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can harness, harness both the positive expe- aspects of that uh, iron powder and the positive aspects of hydrogen uh, by converting them in, in each other.
1: I see Professor Olaf Aden is taking notes already. He thinks he has another light bulb moment here uh, introduced by a student. Who knows? But... Um, th- th- Obviously, you're going to collaborate together with these students some were on the team, or is everyone totally new on the
3: team? Everyone is totally new. Yeah. Um, so it depends a bit on which student team. Uh, every student team has their own process. But um, what, what usually happens with student teams is that um, people take time off from their studying. That can be part-time for a day, for a couple of days per week, or full-time. And I'm, I'm one of those students who does it full-time. I've just mm. finished my bachelor and I will take off the next year. I'm also new uh, within the project. Um, yeah, the, um, but what usually happens is that you have a team for one year, um, they do the new recruitment phase and then the new, the new team gets recruited, the, the knowledge gets transferred and yeah, then they, they start just, over, which um, you could imagine has a downside. But on the other hand, it has a positive, uh, positive side as well because every year you have new students yeah. In the team, and each of those students has a new look on the project you are working on. So every year you get fresh people with new ideas uh, who can work together on creating a fantastic project.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned about the new project. What would we be able to tell in 12 months' time for the people who will f- follow up? Yeah. Um, hopefully, we
3: will have realized um, the first, um, the, the the first uh, the first tests. So um, the project is entirely new. Um, over the past week weeks, we've been working on the project proposal itself. Um, so, in twelve months' time, hopefully, we'll have done the first business cases. Um, people will know uh, about the potential of the this, I will call the steam iron process. Um, the, the the and we can use the results that we gathered from them together with the the setup we will uh, will have made mm-hmm. uh, in order to continue. The project make it uh, find partners uh, in order to develop the technology further mm-hmm. uh, in bigger projects um, that can be then be commercialized.
1: Well, maybe there's someone sitting right across you on, at the table Perhaps. Johan, if you hear about this steam iron yet again a new yeah. system
0: yeah I'm quite enthusiastic about the story of Nick so i'm 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 very pleased to have a conversation afterwards with him on this this stuff wow, um, there you go. we we work with industry partners who, to enable new new fuels and and this might be the next one in in line to get ready to prepare for the industry. Yeah.
1: And then uh, backed up by a Norwegian uh, country and one of the richest uh, countries in the world, so uh, this this should be something, uh, Nick. Yeah, I'm definitely going to take this up after the podcast uh, conversation. Yeah. I see that we have to wrap it up in a few minutes' time. What should be the key message that we take away from this very episode? What can we tell people?
0: Um, there's a lot of work to do. It's a big renovation we need to start doing the energy transition, and we need to start now. Uh, and luckily there are many promising technologies. We need, we need a little bit of help to be successful, mm-hmm. then it can be done.
1: And now you talk for the West European market, or especially for the Dutch market, because the infrastructure we have is
0: quite good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, other, other countries might take another route, but yeah. we need to find our own
2: one. Yeah.
0: Other gentlemen.
2: Well, maybe some uh, some addition to that. I think uh, my main message is we should the best we we should do the best we can to accelerate, and that's not only a matter of technology. Yeah, it's it's referring to a lot of things, uh, in, including decision making, good, including mobilizing stakeholders, including convincing people that uh, something has to change. Uh, and, and also some
1: daring investors, isn't it? Exactly, With risk money.
2: Exactly. And what I would add to that is that uh, the biggest risk that we take is not by taking risk in um, uh, financing or investing in projects in an early stage, but that we are too late in doing the right things. And that's the biggest risk.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. what you see. Yeah, yeah. And Nick, in 2050, you will be 50. By that time, everyone will become 150. So you will have another 100 years to go by then.
3: Yeah, well, I was going to say almost the same as Johan, that it's just about taking risks. I'm a student, 20 years old. Um, When I do these kinds of projects, work on the university, if I take risks, um, I have not a lot to lose. Um, But I think we have to adopt this mentality um to to uh, look at your, look at the problems we are facing and just just face them, just do it um, because then I think together uh, we can come out of this and we will uh, we will take on this challenge uh, and and realize the future without fossil fuels
1: yeah, yeah, wow. That the one thing I will take away from this very episode that I'm sitting here around this table with three very optimistic uh, technical guys, actually. They, they have said what's needed to, to convince uh, people. And the one thing I also take away, b- because I have been studying here at this university as well for quite some years, but it was architecture, so we always got bullied by the physicians, so sorry about that. But is also the task of communicate. Simply and directly to other people, to other stakeholders, what all these new technologies hold. And maybe even to simplify the message instead of coming up with all the detailed information. Because otherwise people won't simply buy it or won't even go for it. Yeah, thank you very much for coming over and for participating in this final episode. You're
0: welcome. My pleasure.
1: Thank you. So, you've listened to Building the Future, a podcast by Cadence Science Partner. And thanks to our guest, Johan Knipe, head of section Flow & Fuel at DNV. Nick Hall, head project manager of the student team Solid. And also Olaf Aden, CEO of Celsius. This episode was recorded at the TUE campus Eindhoven. And, to be more specific, in Kennisport, a building from Cadence Science Partner. If you want to find out more about this podcast or our guests, go to cadans.com slash podcast. Here you'll also learn more about Cadans Science Partner and how it connects innovative organizations and ecosystems throughout Europe, helping them to work on sustainable solutions for the future. And do not forget to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite app so you won't miss our upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening and my name is Rudy van Beurden.